Well, we're starting a, a new series today, and it's been a long process of study to get to this place. And I've asked many of you for prayers and to know that this subject that we're talking about today is it's a big deal. So um, some of you I've told this story to before. Years ago when they came out with uh, motion sensor things in bathrooms, you guys remember this story? <laughs> I'm going to have to tell you again. So I walked in, you walk into the bathroom and it detects motion and the lights click on. And there's set a certain number of minutes or whatever, and if there's no motion, then the lights go out, and it goes from light to darkness. And one time I was in the restroom, TMI, maybe a little too long, and the lights went out. And my first thought was, did I just go blind? Like, that's really what I thought for it. That was the first thing that popped into my little paranoid mind. And then I realized, no, the motion detector, I've been in here too long. And so I did what I had to do, throw a roll of toilet paper up, make a motion, lights went back on. It was all good after that. <laughs> but being in the darkness is not good. I don't know. I hate the dark. You trip, you can't see where you're going, and you just, darkness is not good. And darkness is the absence of light. So when there is no light, there's darkness. But the cool thing about light versus darkness is light always wins. Even a little small light in a cave is, it drives away darkness. It lets you begin to see. In our, uh, our world that we are living in today, there's two huge problems. We have a love problem. There is a lack of love in our world. And the reason there's a lack of love is there's a lack of light. There's a lack of light exposing darkness, dark thoughts, dark attitudes, behaviors, etc. And I think, um, you know, when you begin to, to, to look at the world and you realize something's going on here that's deeper than just people, people being bad. There's something behind it. We're starting a series today called Let There Be Light, and... I've been thinking about this, this, this conflict between light and darkness. We're going to look at the, the history, where it started today is what we're going to look at, the history of this conflict between light and darkness. And I, whenever you talk about spiritual warfare, whenever you talk about the supernatural, there's always, as C.S. Lewis put it, there's always two extremes. There's the extreme of... The enemy wants us to pay too much attention to him and give him credit for everything and look for the devil behind every doorknob. But then the other extreme that he would have us in, if we're not going to be in that, is to believe he doesn't exist or to pay no attention to him at all. And we want to find a balance, right? There is an unseen supernatural realm that we're dealing with. But as we're going to see over the next several weeks, Jesus is the final authority. He gets the last word on everything, and he has defeated darkness. It's a matter of us recognizing it and walking in his light. So we're going to ask several questions over the next several weeks. That I, it's, it's my whole point is to answer questions about the conflict between light and darkness. In uh, Genesis, Genesis 1, 
all the way to the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Let there be light. Let there be light in our minds. Let there be light in our church. Let there be light in our relationships. Let there be light in our homes. That we are the light of the world. He's the light of the world. We're now the light of the world. And that we live in such a way that we bring light into a dark world. So the first question that we're going to address today is, why is there darkness? You ever thought about that? Like, why is it the way it is? My mind always goes there. Why is it the way it is? First John 1, verse 5, 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him, being Jesus. And we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If God is light and in him there is no darkness, why is there darkness? Well, I've bitten off the huge task today <laughs> to try to answer that question for, for you with much fear and trepidation. Honestly, again, the whole, this is a, you know, I felt the intimidation of the evil one this week. And as I've been preparing, I felt the, his intimidation. That's what he does. He's an intimidator. But greater is he who lives in us than he who is in this world. Don't ever forget that. You have the authority of Jesus Christ living inside of you. He has no hold on you. Temptation is always meant for our destruction. Trials and struggles, they're meant for our growth. So when you go through difficulty, learn to recognize the difference between the two. So today I'm going to be laying a theological framework for practical application for this subject of the conflict between light and darkness and praying every week that the lights would go on. Let there be light. Let there be light. So today is going to be a lot of teaching. Sometimes you teach, sometimes you preach, sometimes there's a combo of both. I need you to put your thinking caps on with me. I need you to stay awake. <laughs> Hopefully you're caffeinated. And that you will, will uh, be in for learning something maybe new or a reminder of what you already know, what Scripture teaches. Before I get into it, let's remember that God is first and foremost an eternal relationship between the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. This perfect, others-centered relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intertwined together, eternal relationship. And as you begin to re remember, God has no beginning and God has no end. He's outside of time and space. So let's answer the question, why is there darkness? Let me start with the uh, easier stuff, all right? We'll start with the easier stuff. First of all, God created a heavenly family before he created humanity. Did you know that? God created a heavenly family, a host of angels, a host of divine beings that he chose to create and have as his heavenly family, supernatural beings, 
Not, not, not humans, but supernatural beings. Elohim. Anybody ever heard that word, Elohim? That's the Hebrew word for God. It's the most used word for God in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. But it's not always just used of God. It's also of, of the true God, of Yahweh. It's used of these divine beings as well. It's interesting. In the beginning, as Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word heavens is obviously the stars, the planets, the universe. But in the Hebrew, which I'm going to give you a lot of today, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've done my homework on this, the, the word heavens also means these heavenly beings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the book of Job, one of the oldest books in all of Scripture, the book of Job is about a guy named Job who was, he was tested. The Lord allowed Satan to test Job. And he went through extreme difficulties, if you've ever read the book of Job. And my point is not the story of Job, but I want you to see something in Job 38, verses 4 through 7. Job is, he's, he's arguing with God. He's questioning God. And God responds this way. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God's being a little sarcastic there. (laughs) Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Catch this. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Morning stars is a Hebrew uh, way of talking about the angels, about these divine heavenly family that God had created. And he uses the phrase, sons of God. And you see that several times in the Old Testament. And immediately, I got to address the reality that there is only one unique son of God, Jesus Christ co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God's unique one and only Son. But He calls us His sons and daughters. He he called Israel His Son, His one and only Son. But there is only one Jesus Christ. So when you see the phrase sons of God, there's not some sort of co-equal with Him. No, He's the, he's the, the final authority. The Son of God created this heavenly family. Remember that. Genesis 2.1, after God creates the heavens and the earth, on the seventh day he rested, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Remember the word host. He's the Lord of hosts. How many times have you read that? The Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies. That's what we're talking about here. God, to answer the question, why is there darkness, is to answer the, the, to understand God first and foremost created a heavenly family before he created us, before he created mankind. Let's go to the second point. This heavenly family was God's divine counsel to whom he gave the privilege and authority to co-steward his creation. He had this divine counsel that he created. He chose to let this heavenly family participate with him in stewarding creation. 
And ultimately, we're going to see co-stewarding with us as, as his family. Psalm 89 really brings this into to picture here for us. Psalm 89, 5 through 7. Let the heavens praise your wonders. O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. That's that divine family, that heavenly family. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. And awesome above all who are around him. So we get this picture of this divine family, this divine council that God is chosen to participate with him in stewarding creation. Now, I bet the question's already come up. Are you saying, Scott, that there's more than one God? Is that what you're saying? There is only one true God. There is only one God of gods, as we read in Scripture, King of kings, Lord of lords. But there are divine beings that God calls gods, Elohim. It's so hard to go from Hebrew to English to always have that understanding. That's where we're so limited in translation. But in the Hebrew mindset, in, in we, as we see how Jesus saw the spiritual world, the supernatural world, he, he knows that God had a divine counsel. He, he, we, we see that throughout the, the scripture, but there's only, only one true God. God doesn't need help But in his character, he's always wanting to share things with his creation. In his heavenly family, he wanted to share that with. Stay with me. How's your thinking cap doing? Is it on tight? A little tighter because it's going to get more deep here in a second. Um, So the third point I want to make, why is there darkness? Why is there darkness? God created a heavenly family before he created humanity. He gave privilege to this heavenly family. And then thirdly, God created mankind and gave them the responsibility to steward and grow what we call the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. Eden was God's sacred space. We see in Scripture all the time, God always has a sacred space. God is everywhere present all the time, but there's, a, a, there's places in Scripture we see where God chose to have as his presence be known. And Eden was one of those. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? He dwelt in Eden. We see later in the tabernacle, later in the temple. And I got good news. Guess what? You are God's sacred space. Let that sink in. You are God's sacred space. We are now the temple of the living God. He has chosen to take up residency and dwell among us in us, through us, 24-7. You don't need to go to church or some place to meet with God. He's with you wherever you go, 24-7, in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. So we go back to the creation story again, and God creating Adam and Eve and giving them responsibility. Genesis 1, 26-29. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, you little creepers. (laughs) So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When you and I read this book, when we're trying to make sense of life, don't forget this is an ancient book written to ancient people, written by ancient people. The, the Bible was, was not written to us, it was written for us. So important that we remember that. If you try to interpret this book through American 2021 eyes, you're going to miss it. We will miss it. You start reading in, oh, it's, this is America, this is whatever. No, it was written, it was written to the Hebrews, right? And then it, the, the early church gathered the letters of Paul. So it's an ancient book. And if we don't Try to become like when you go to a foreign country and you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, you kind of walk a little bit, you know, trying to figure out what's going on here until you understand the culture a little bit better. That's what we have to do here. If we try to write our culture into the Bible, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the, the, the point that it's trying to make to us. It's so, so important. So God creates a heavenly family. He gives them privilege to steward over creation. He creates Adam and Eve, mankind, and gives responsibility to grow the Garden of Eden. Let the Garden of Eden subdue and grow over all the earth. All right, here's where the plot changes a little bit. Number four, one of God's divine council members, the serpent, as we're going to see, rebelled and deceived Adam and Eve into rebelling against their creator. So one of these divine beings said, no, I'm jealous. I'm jealous, creator God, of your relationship with these humans, with these people. That's where it it came out of jealousy and decided I'm going to rebel against my creator and I'm going to deceive human beings. I'm going to deceive them about your nature. I'm going to deceive them about your goodness. I'm going to deceive them about why they were created. A whole huge mess came from that. We pick up in Genesis 2 and 3. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Is that pretty plain? (laughs) For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Picking up in Genesis 3. Now the serpent, remember this as I'm reading. Genesis is way more poetic literature than we give it credit for. There's a, there's a poetic literature to Genesis that's, it's not always just literal. Boom, boy, this is what it says. There is a a literature to it that we have to take and realize, okay, is is there really a serpent? Is there really a snake? Who knows? Something happened here. That's that's the whole point that we have to, to get at. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. 
Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Often Eve gets the bad rap as the one that was deceived, right? Adam was standing there watching this conversation happen. He didn't... He, <laughs> watch out now. He st- stood there and watched, and he did not step in. He did not say, protect her. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in this story. But here's what you got to get. When we're talking about the battle between darkness and light, the, the conflict between light and darkness, darkness, the deception that, that happened to Adam and Eve was the same deception that the serpent, that the enemy bought this lie himself, that God was not good, that God could not be trusted. God was holding out on them. And that God was somehow off in the distance and disinterested. That's darkness. That's what you and I have, have been getting unraveled from our minds from the time we were born. That God, He can't be trusted. Your circumstances have told you God can't be trusted. If God was good, then He wouldn't let this happen to you. Over and over and over. And we'll be tested by that darkness. He's disinterested. That's darkness. We need the light of Jesus Christ to shine upon any darkness that comes into our mind about the character of God, about thinking anything less than understanding that God is like Jesus. For God so loved you, He gave His only Son. That's when the lights go on. You begin to realize God is good, He can be trusted, and He's very, 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 very interested in your life. So what happens then is in this, after Adam and Eve got deceived, there's some consequences that happen. Why is there darkness? Let's keep going with this. There, God speaks some consequences in this sin that happened to them. Death came into humanity. This is the reason people die, is because of the sin of our first parents. God says this, he says this to the, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a lot there. Theologically, that is packed with truth and the gospel. The offspring is obviously the offspring of us. But ultimately, this is a prophetic word about Jesus and that Jesus is going to come into this world. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And he did it. Jesus crushed his head. When I love that in The Passion of the Christ. Remember that movie? And um, You've heard of that movie, right? It's about Jesus. Um, <laughs> Passion of the Christ. 
He, in the garden, there's a snake after Jesus is praying and, and sweating blood, and then a snake comes by, and he, bam, stomps on its head. Like, that's awesome. Good job, Mel Gibson. Good film work there. There's this, when the fall happened, this original rebellion happened, war was waged. The conflict had begun. And we've been in conflict ever since. This fall introduced three enemies into our lives as humans. The, the enemy, the serpent, the evil one, sin, and then sin brings death. And what we're going to see over the next several weeks, and we're going to just reaffirm, Jesus defeated our enemies of the evil one, sin, and death. Jesus conquered by his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's why it's good news. But we've got to understand the back story. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not as good news until you realize what's really happened. So next, not only did the serpent rebel, but more of God's divine, divine counsel did as well. This heavenly family, before he creates humanity, it's, we're told in Scripture that a third of this divine family fell with the evil one. When he fell and rebelled, a third fell with him. We could get into a whole thing about demonology and what are demons and this and that. And, and you know, it's, there, there's a lot we, I've been studying and, and learning a lot about from a Hebrew mindset, an ancient culture, and, and all of that. It almost sounds like mythology at times. It's kind of strange. But the reality is, what I want you to get, there is a supernatural evil fallen realm that is present in this world. You got to believe that. We get so in our American, Western, scientific minds that we don't leave room for supernatural. And yet we're Christians and we believe that Jesus Christ, God came in the flesh, died and rose again. That's called a miracle. That's called supernatural. Everything we believe is built upon something supernatural. God is supernatural. So we got to leave room for this. And I don't want to be chasing demons around and this and that and go off kilter, you know, out of balance. But we do have to recognize there is an evil presence that's behind the sin and junk that we see in this world. That's why the devil is called the God of this world, the ruler of this age. But Jesus has overcome We've overcome because he's overcome. Let's don't ever forget that. So I'm going to read to you from Genesis 6. This is not an easy passage of Scripture to interpret. Um, there's different interpretations about what really was going on in Genesis 6. I'm going to tell you what I think it means. Feel free to email me and we can have a coffee and talk about it. I'd be glad to do that over any of this because... Um, this is something that's being worked out, I think, for, for a lot of us since we don't speak Hebrew, we're not Jewish, we don't, you know, we don't understand what the ancients really understood. But it says this, this is the second huge rebellion that we see in Scripture. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, here's this phrase again, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. 
Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Who in the world are the sons of God and the Nephilim and all of that? Well, some people interpret it as they were from the righteous line of Seth. But I don't think that's true because as you read on, the line of Seth became wicked pretty quick. Some say it's the the wicked line of Cain. But I don't think that's that's true either. The, The supernatural peace to these verses is what, where I think we're supposed to focus on. And you might be thinking, well, is the Bible trying to tell me that somehow supernatural angels took human form and mated with the daughters of earth? I do. <laughs> I think that's what it's trying to say. Now, do I get it? Of course not. Do you get it? No. But let's don't just wash, wash it away because it's supernatural. That's the part that I think we have to be fully aware of here. And if you think that it's crazy to think that, that somehow fallen uh, angels, fallen divine beings took on some form of, of human and, and mated, then, and you think that's crazy, well, Jude, the book of Jude, the last letter in the New Testament before the book of Revelation, he talks about this very thing. He says it happened. He says it was a reality. Peter in First and Second Peter both talk about this, that these angels, for, for their sin and their rebellion and what they did, are held in chains until the day of judgment. So we have to deal with that. And, the, and when we see, why did God flood the earth? He flooded it because of this. Because they introduced the knowledge of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil in a way that just snowballed from Adam and Eve. We know that Adam and Eve's son, Cain, killed his brother Abel, right? The first murder that happened. But then just a couple chapters later, this happens. And most Second Temple uh, Judaism teachers and and other commentaries on Scripture, they saw this rebellion as, as in some ways bigger than the fall of Adam because they introduced the knowledge of war, weapons, sexual immorality, every evil intention, as God said. Cruelty came into the world in this rebellion. It's crazy to think about. You're innocent until you experience evil. That's what happens in life. We have our innocence stolen, and then we experience the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can't get it back. Once that innocence has been marked, you can't get it back. Sexual immorality, cruelty, war, abuse, whatever. Once innocence is stolen, now you know. And that's what happened here. So we see God pronouncing a judgment upon what happened in Genesis 6 in Psalm 82. Psalm 82 is this divine boardroom (laughs) 
so to speak, of God and his divine counsel. It says God has taken his place in the divine counsel. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. That's powerful. You shall inherit the nations. God, that's, think, think of the gospel. Bring this gospel to every nation. Go into all nations. Adam and Eve fell because they wanted to be like God. They didn't trust God. Um, the fallen divine council members, man, they wanted to create their own line of people. That's really what happened there. They wanted to be like God in creating. And then God comes and judges and, and floods the earth. Number six, if I would have told you I had seven points today, you might not have showed up, but you did. You're here. Two more. Number six, ultimately these gods, and I put in air quotes, deceived the nations that they were to steward over. You're getting a huge Old Testament lesson today, but we don't read, we don't read the New Testament right until we read the Old Testament right. I used to say, you can't understand the, uh, you know, the Old Testament without the New Testament. That's completely flipped for me. We don't understand Jesus and the gospel until we are able to interpret the Old Testament better. Then all of a sudden, you're, the dots are connected. That's what's kind of happened with me a little bit. I'm not in any way trying to say I've arrived and have it all figured out. I don't. But dots have been connected for me. And I can't, you can't unsee it once you see it. You can't unsee it. So in, after the flood, it says that Noah and his family, there were 70 clans that came from the line of Noah. If, you wanna, if you're taking notes and you're into what I'm saying, Google the table of nations. Just all you have to do is search the table of nations. Not right now. Do it later. The table of nations. <laughs> and you'll see how from Noah, all the earth was populated. It's crazy. You'll see how all the different people groups came about from the, the lineage of Noah. And there were 70. The number 70 is so important in the Bible. Um, the, the 70 nations and the 70 uh, divine council members that were given to steward over the 70 nations. It just all fits together, fastens together perfectly. And so we see in Genesis 11, the, the, the third rebellion that happens in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is the Tower of Babel. And mankind rebelled, wanting to be like God, building this tower and so forth. And God comes down and he confuses their language. And then God says this, okay, you're, God had given authority and stewardship of these divine council members to steward over the nations. And they all went evil, right? They, they, they did not serve and, and, and love God. So what does God do? He says, 
I'm going to create my own nation. I'm going to create a people that will be after my heart. And in Genesis 12, who does he call? Say it with me. Abraham. He calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And the rest of the story of the Old Testament is about God's relationship with the people of Israel. Giving, being the womb, so to speak, of bringing Jesus. God's ultimate plan to bless the world and to take back the nations, everything that was rightfully His from the beginning, to give all authority to His Son to take back the nations and and to make us His people, ultimately through that. Uh, Moses comments on this in Deuteronomy 32. He says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage. God chose for a season to have Israel be His chosen people, His nation, But ultimately, it was going to cycle to the point where Jesus comes and it's back to the whole world. I'm going to read a verse to you that you're probably familiar with. You've heard at some point in time, you've prayed, you've thought about it. This is going to give a whole new understanding of what I've been trying to say to you this morning. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Does that make a little more sense now? As you begin to realize what's happened in the past and the authority God gave to His divine counsel to rule and to reign in their rebellion, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. There's something behind it. That's why Jesus tells us to love our enemies to do good. Because when you see, that doesn't mean people aren't accountable. Please don't hear that. You're going the wrong direction if that's what you heard. But there are powers and principalities that we are wrestling with that are at work that want you and I to believe they don't exist and that it's just your neighbor's fault. It's your spouse's fault. It's your employer. It's the other government. It's this and that. It's the, oh man, there's a power behind it that's at work. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's important that we, re, re, we remember that. These powers deceive nations. The whole book of Revelation is about the, uh, the nations being deceived in political power and religious power and all of that. The deceiving of the nations. So here's, let's get to the, the best news ever. My last point. You're like, hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus... He came to confront the darkness. And he came to undo the mess that Adam made. That's the gospel. Jesus, we see him as soon as he starts walking the earth, right? You don't read anything about casting out demons in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and they're on full alert. Uh Uh-oh, he's here. Let's get him killed as soon as possible. He needs to die. Let's deceive the religious leaders. Make sure they, they get him killed because he's here. They were on full alert, man. Do, do, like they sent out an amber alert. And they all looked at their phones. He's here. And yes, he was here. 
the Lamb of God. He didn't come in a fighter jet, a tank, a suit of armor, a sword. He came in the Spirit of God. The love of God came to confront the darkness. John 1, 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the li- that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How many think that's good news? You can't overcome the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Next week, I'm going to answer the question, who's in charge? We look around our world, is Jesus in charge or who's in charge? Is the God of this world in charge or is Jesus in charge? And I'm going to tell you next week, he is in charge. All authority has been given to Jesus. All authority. So he came, he confronted the darkness, he disarmed the powers of rulers and authorities. He disarmed it, Paul says in Colossians. So we don't have to fear. We can say with full faith, greater is he who's in us than he who is in this world. We actually need to be on the offense rather than the defense. We're getting ahead. It's next week. Um, Romans 5. Can you tell I've been thinking about this for a little while? Like This has been on my mind. I think if we get this, we're going to walk free. We're going to walk more loving. We're going to go back into our communities and we're going to share the gospel and not in fear. We're going to share the good news of what Jesus did, that he confronted the darkness and he undid the mess that Adam made. Paul says in Romans 5, 17 and 18, for if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. Jesus He undid the depravity that happened in Genesis 6, the knowledge of good and evil that was introduced into mankind. He undid that depravity. You go want homework, go read Romans 1. Romans 1 is all talking about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Paul totally saw this. But he also undid the mess that Adam did in bringing death into humanity. So I have my illustration for you. This is my Colorado Bronco sock. It's clean, trust me. This is the picture I want you to leave with today in your mind of the the victory of Jesus. Adam and Eve were given a job. Just like this cute little sock is given to keep my foot warm, dry, be in my shoe, had a job. Adam and Eve had a job to do. And that job was to steward over Eden and grow it be fruitful and multiply. When they sinned and got deceived and believed the lie of the enemy, what happened was everything got turned inside out. 
Our world, your world has been turned inside out. It's backwards. We don't trust God. Humanity doesn't trust God, doesn't believe God. We're mean to each other, on and on and on. Jesus came to confront the darkness. And he came to undo what Adam did. Don't ever let the fall of Adam be greater than the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus is greater than the work of Adam. Go contemplate that this week. You'll find yourself in worship. But Jesus says that he came in the form of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful. But he came into our brokenness, into our, our broken humanity. He became one of us. He entered into it so that he could undo it by his life, death, and resurrection. And what he did, Jesus went into the depths of our brokenness, the depths of of darkness, turned it right side out. That's what he did. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 5. He turned it back. So all we need to do is believe, participate with him, trust him in what he has done. He reigns supreme over all. And this was a lot. I get it. Come back next week, okay? (laughs) Tune in next week. Because it's going to lead to the the practical part of understanding the background. We're going to sing. We're going to respond. Christy was so nice to let me request a song. I heard the words to this song uh, months ago when I knew we were at some point going to do this series. I said, God, we got to do that one. And um, would you stand with me? And would you respond in faith to the light of Jesus? And would you ask him as we're singing, Lord, is there any darkness in my mind, my heart? Would you drive it away with your light? You are the light of the world. And in him there is no darkness at all. The enemy doesn't like that we're shining light on his darkness. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like it if you begin to say, God, turn the lights on more and more and more in my life. Let there be no darkness. As we sing this song, let it just saturate your heart. Give us new life. 
from the lips of the forgiven Hear an anthem arise Cause Jesus, you're alive oh, You reign above it all reign above it all Over the universe and over every heart There is no higher name Jesus, you Let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song And sing hallelujah to the everlasting world There is no higher name Jesus, you reign above it all You reign above it all darkness running out of an empty grave I seated alone in glory and throned on the highest place and you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave I seated alone in glory and throned on the highest place and you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave now seated alone in glory and thrown on the highest praise and you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave now seated alone in glory and thrown on the highest praise you reign above it all reign above it all and over the universe and over every heart there is no higher name Jesus you reign above it all let all of heaven and the earth erupt in song and sing hallelujah to the everlasting word there is no higher name Jesus you reigns above it all. He's Lord whether you agree or not. He's Savior whether you agree or not. We don't make Him Lord. We don't make Him Savior. He already is. We agree with Him. And if you and I, if we don't choose to align our will with His will, you're still going to align your will with somebody. Either yourself or the evil one. That choice is there. We fail. I fail every day. But when we fail, realign your will to His. He'll never, ever, 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 ever let you down. He'll never let you down. His will is perfect. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you defeated darkness and that you undid what Adam did, Lord Jesus, by your life, death, and resurrection. We choose today to live in that truth and reality for your glory. Amen. Amen.